Plundergrounds, Plundergrounds, welcome back to a brand new show. Ray's gonna take you where you didn't know you wanted to go. Fantasy and dungeon delve, science fiction, watch yourselves. Hi everybody, I'm back. I'm uh, going to make this one my last GaryCon episode, and it's mostly to talk about some of the things that I bought there um, and one final experience that happened on Sunday. But I need to get past this because I've got a big week planned. I am looking to clear a bunch of zines off of my conscience. <laughs> I have a huge rack of zines that I bought for Zine Quest 3 and some that I have bought since. I've been uh, cataloging them so that I know what I have, and I'm going to try to do a podcast a day to talk about one zine a day and keep it fairly short, so you can look forward to that. We'll see if I actually follow through on my commitment or not. In the meantime, let's uh, finish up talking about GaryCon 14, which happened this spring 2022. Um, on Sunday, we that's basically our travel day. We don't go back to the con on Sunday, although we did go back to the hall uh, when it opened for about an hour to do a little bit of a last-minute shopping before we, we bugged out. And uh, that's where I bought a lot of things that I'm going to talk about today. But, but after that, we went to the Dungeon Hobby Shop and Museum. Now, this is a... <laughs> <laughs> a residential house that has been converted into a hobby shop and museum that is, as I understand it, run by Ernie Gygax and one of his partners. And I wish them luck. I, I have no, there's some, uh, there's kind of a, they've made some missteps. Let's put it that way. There's been some uh, poor judgment calls and uh, there's been a bit of a kerfuffle over rights and, uh, and there's some grossness in terms of like just, um, well, we'll not get into it. Uh, basically, it's it's not been the best start for them. But I uh, went over there to check it out. One of the things that, that has to be on the radar, I think, even though it's a little bit of this uh, stuff we don't want to talk about, is that they, they had a thing they called TSR Con, um, and they were trying to woo people in, in over from Gary Con to have a look at the Dungeon Hobby Shop and Museum, and that probably wasn't done the best way that you could imagine. Uh, it, it kind of felt like it was setting itself up in competition or comparing itself to, um, and it's it's really a joke. Um, you go to the you go to the house. It's got a nice sign out front, but uh, there's some there's some old modules and things on the porch uh, that you can buy. And then the next room inside is uh, kind of a t-shirt shop, basically. Um, you've got where you can buy hats and other memorabilia. Uh, they make the shirts right there on the spot for you, uh, so just with a press machine. And I, I'm going to just, I want to rake them over the coals here for a minute. The guy running the, uh, I think he was one of the partners running the t-shirt machine. Uh, my friend ordered a shirt with one of the decals on the back. A black shirt, long sleeves, um, and I can't remember what size he ordered, but of a specific size. He probably doesn't want me saying anyway. <laughs> but so, so this gentleman, maybe in hard of hearing, I'm not sure, but he went into the back and he got the, put the decal on the front and he comes back out and he says, how's this? And my friend Paul says, well, that looks great, except it's on the wrong side. And 
the guy, I, th- I think he played it off as a joke at that point and said, oh, yeah, I know. This is the, I'm, just, I'm just giving you a hard time or whatever. I'm just kidding you. So then he goes back, puts it on the back, comes back out, and he goes, does this look right? And Paul says, yeah, sure. And he, he takes the shirt. Later I found out in the car he put it on the wrong, the, that the gentleman put it on the wrong size shirt, right? So got the order wrong twice, um, which is not stellar. Uh, they had a a visiting author there with his book set up in that same room on a card table, and it was uh, very crowded. There was room for maybe two or three people to stand in there uh, at the same time, maybe, without blocking the doorway. You go into the next room. The next room is really the, the I don't know, the centerpiece of the museum. It's got some really nice display cases with some really nice things in the display cases. I enjoyed looking at them. It takes you maybe 30 minutes at most to to really see and discuss everything in those cases if you were just making a survey of what's in those cases five minutes right um in one corner of that room is the basically coffee station and sink for the house um, there's a tiny side room where a couple of people are playing games there wasn't room to go in there with uh, there were like two people in there playing games, maybe three, and that's probably max capacity. And then there was one other room, which was the toilet, which also had memorabilia in it. And I remember them indicating that there were tours, and I'm thinking, what? <laughs> does the tour end in the toilet? What's, I mean, <laughs> come on. <laughs> so it's a little hobby shop with some really nice old stuff that you can look at. Um, a few a few items of which you can buy, but mostly it's there just to kind of gawk at. And, um, you know, you'd go, uh, and it's the, I guess I should point out, it's the site of one of the early TSR offices, right? It's a house where uh, some of the early TSR offices were. So Gary, Tim, and a few others worked out of there. But um, I, I appreciate what they're trying to do. I think it's, uh, we'll see how, we'll see how it goes, right? We'll see how it goes. But uh, so we we left there. Um, we're gonna go eat lunch at Sprecker's, but Sprecker's has uh, apparently shut down and is going to reopen. I'm not sure even if they're gonna reopen under the same name, but they're in kind of reworking and probably a, a COVID fate. Uh, you know, um, I started to say fatality, but um, I'm sure this is a result from like you know the reduced business of COVID, and they've just decided to use that time to retool. So hopefully they'll come back and be similar to what they once were because I really like that place. Um, okay, so let's talk about, well, then we got on the road and we had an easy flight home and blah, blah, blah. So let's talk about um, let's talk about some of the stuff I bought there. Oh, I guess one other thing I wanted to say, and I don't, I'm not sure where I'm gonna get into it, but um, after I got home, uh, my, my son was home from college for the following week, which was great, and uh, we played um, Got a chance to play Blood Bowl. So I, it, Blood Bowl's one of my favorite old uh, uh, games workshop games. I like their smaller scale games better than their big army war games just because, you know, it's just too much um, for me to pl- paint that much of an army and to, to carry it around and field it and all that kind of stuff. I don't have that kind of time, really. Uh, so I like uh, Mordheim, Necromunda, um, you know, Warhammer Quest, uh uh, Blood Bowl, I'm trying to think of all, uh, Space Hulk, you know, all those smaller games I like quite a bit because they kind of can take that experience and put it into something a little more um, expedient. Even then, I think that our first game of Blood Bowl took almost three hours. Uh, so, because <laughs> we hadn't played in a long time. 
Well, um, so some of the stuff I bought at the con, Escape from Skullcano Island was one of my purchases. That's uh, written by Levi Combs, and it's from Planet X Games. And the general idea of it is uh, it's a high-level adventure for D&D, and you are making your way across an island that's that's essentially Monster Island, right? Uh, it's got kaiju on it. Uh, and it's it, I think on the cover there's like a two-headed gorilla, a King Kong-ish looking thing. With a kind of a mandrel face, if I remember right, I don't know. I, it's I don't have it in front of me, uh, and uh, you know, fighting another big kaiju, and and you, you get the idea right away. Uh, I only read about the first I don't know three pages of it, um, and on on the spot, I probably only read the first couple paragraphs. But flipping through, uh, I was immediately sold. The writing style is uh, good and entertaining, funny, you know, not just clear, but also entertaining and then uh the the kaiju inside looked really fun and it seemed like a neat idea right if i'm going to play a high level adventure that seems like the kind of thing that would be really fun to do so i I grabbed that um i grabbed some dice bags from black oak workshop which i think i mentioned before but the craftsmanship is just amazing really the the sewing on them is really i'm sure it's probably done by machine but i just really like their choices and they look really good you can see these dice bags online if you go to black oak workshop but i would um tell you that the graphics they have showing originally for the dice bags are kind of like the pencil and paper versions of them and so they look good but they don't they don't sell the charm of the bag. You have to like pick a design and go in there and look at the other pictures and you'll see the actual bag and what it looks like. And then, then you'll see um, why, why they're so nice. Uh, the only thing I would, I would say is they're not that kind of, there's kind of, um, they're an old school bag, right? They're, they're like a crown Royal bag or something like that. Maybe stiffer, well, thicker and, and, and more resilient than that. Sturdy better word than that but they don't set upright like um like some modern dice bags do they're not that kind of round bottomed or square bottomed like bucket style dice bag these are really more of a you know like a little baggy a dice um but man they feel good in the hand and they just look really nice and so uh and they're priced right i think we were paying 15 dollars for each of those and uh even managed to work out a little bit of a deal with them while we were there because we bought a handful of those and it was it's really good stuff they make some very cool dice too i bought a my friend bought one of the dice that looks like the the black knight is it the black knight the the knight from monty python that gets his members uh torn off one at a time lopped off one at a time and the die reflects that so every face of the die has one less limb and uh i bought a gelatinous cube die that has things it was a glow in the dark you can kind of tell but it was mostly i think because it i like that uh it, it looked gelatinous right to have that kind of translucent weird green uh, and then on each side of the die was uh, some bits of bone and, and equipment from adventurers uh, in the number of the side, right, that, that represented the numbers one through six. Uh, not the easiest die in the world to read, although it's fairly easy once you understand what you're looking at, but um, just looked cool. So I bought it. As, when I got home, I was going through my dice. I have too many dice like most gamers, and I, I would say I'm not even that bad, but um, I'm, I try to be a minimalist about these things. So I was going through my dice and kind of, um, you know, stamping X Libris on some sets and getting them out of the rotation and, and doing something else with them. And I decided I'm going to make a, a, a jar, like a display piece, right, um, with just a bunch of random single dice that I like, uh, maybe bits from old sets, maybe just ones that I've, you know, been given or whatever. And um, 
yeah, so I've got to start on that. Okay, um, I bought the Adventurer's Almanac, another hardback book from Goodman Games. Um, not very thick, unlike some of the Goodman Games doorstops. This one is, is more reasonably sized, uh, but it is by Michael Curtis, and it's uh, got a... It's basically a bunch of adventure hooks, one for each day of the year, quote-unquote. Um, and I put that in quotes because the year is kind of a fantasy calendar with fantasy um, uh, events, uh, celebrations, holidays. That's the word I'm looking for. Uh, holidays stuck in it. And so it gives you not only all these adventure hooks, but a kind of calendar to stick them on or a calendar to, to run your games by. And it, I just, uh, what sold that to me was flipping through and I read, a, I don't know, five or six hooks, right? And every one of them was really meaty and good in a way that um, that hooks often aren't, I think. They're either too simple or too too much. And these were these seem just right. Like they, they would suggest a thing, like you could see framing a whole session of adventure around most of these hooks, sometimes multiple sessions. But I thought that it was kind of inspiring, so I grabbed that, it seemed very cool. Um, I bought, uh, I think the other, the other only really big purchase I made, I was very tempted, I'll say this, I was very tempted by two things from Norse Foundry that I did not buy. Um, one of them is their hexagonal dice tray, which my friend Paul has. Uh, it's made out of leather. It's extremely well constructed. You can buy these things from various vendors, but I found that, uh, the very first experience I had with this is I bought one of those, um, hex style dice trays that snap together on the corners so they lay flat into where well, you're shipping them around or you know putting them in your bag but then you get to the table you snap it together and it forms a little bucket uh, or a little tray for dice and mine is fine uh, but mine was not Norse Foundry and my friend Paul bought one from Norse Foundry that looked almost exactly like mine black leather on the back purple velvet interior and his was just better <laughs> it just was and I was like wow their craftsmanship is really good and it is. Well, so Paul's tray, um, this octagonal tray, it's it's uh, has a lid to it. So it's like a little box, like an octagonal box, if you will. About the size, a little bit smaller than a dinner plate, a little bit bigger than like um, a dessert plate, right? Uh, and so you pull the top of that off. And by the way, the top like has a grip to it. So it's not just going to fall off in your bag. So you pull the top off and put it aside. And then inside there is... Um, a smaller interior uh, die rolling space, a hexagonal die rolling space uh, that is, um, you know, the full depth of the box. And then around the outside of that, between that interior space and the exterior space, there is a uh, just um, a, a little higher up tray that can hold a number of dice uh, one at a time. So basically imagine the dice like forming a necklace around that interior space. So, you know, a line of uh, a li single line of dice all the way around. And it, I don't know, it looks like it might hold four or five sets at least, right? It's quite a bit of space in there, but it's, it's really great because you can look down and see which die you're looking for immediately because of the way they're, you know, they don't just all jumble up in there. They don't stack. They don't, um, you know, it keeps them in a nice order, right? Like like beads on a necklace. And so you can look down and see which die you want, grab it and roll it in the tray. Uh, very cool. Um, I did not buy one there. Uh, I don't know what stopped me, honestly. I, I just managed to show a little bit of restraint for once. 
And then I um, also looked at, they have a lot of gem dice. I don't need any gem dice. I don't like to roll gem dice because I'm afraid I'll chip them, but they do look beautiful. And they had a set that was made out of fiber optic material that was just cool and ghostly looking. They had a very strange kind of the way they handled light, as you might expect from fiber optics, right? And, th and the, the numbering on them was done in kind of a Norse style, um, you know, very angular numbers. They just looked super cool. But I managed to not buy those too. <laughs> My friend Paul bought that set along with another set. Uh, so he bought two sets of Jim Dice uh, and they're reasonably priced. I think the whole set was like $90 around that range. Um, they obviously had some that were all the way up into the 300s or 400s, but they were made from very specific, uh, hard to get materials, right? Uh, okay, so there was that, and then um, something I've already mentioned, which was the Shadow Dark Zine set by Kelsey Dion, uh, along with the Cursed Scroll Zine. I'm not going to talk a lot about this today, because I think Kelsey might come on the show. Uh, I was watching a video of hers uh, on an adventure that she put in one of the zines, the zine that I actually got with that set called the Cursed Scroll, and it's, uh, the adventure is called The Hideous Halls of Mugdoblub. And yeah, she just rolls that right off her tongue, you know, Mugdo Blub. After I guess after you get used to it a couple times, it's it's kind of like saying that. What's the god from DCC that has the bullbugbabiz or something? Uh, <laughs> that's a funny name. You just get used to saying it, and then it's kind of fun to say it because it's a it's a skill to learn it, right? But uh, the hideous halls of Mugdo Blub is a uh, low level adventure that she has designed for the Shadow Dark RPG. And uh, if you watch the video, I think you'll get a good sense of what kind of GM she is, what kind of adventures she likes, and honestly, um, the kind of decision-making or thought work that probably um, went into Shadow Dark. Like, I felt like the, the, the two were... This was naturally for me in, in a, the kind of adventure that would come out of the Shadow Dark RPG that she's made, and uh, or is making, I should say. She's still working on it. What I have is kind of a beta edition of it. And um, I just thought all the choices made in that were really wise. The first time I flipped through it, the night I bought it, I thought, yeah, this is, you know, this is what it is. It's, a, it's yet another retro clone. I mean, my gosh, how many of them are there out there now, right? Um, fantasy retro clones um, using the OGL to kind of form something that's a little more customized and, um, uh, um, you know, light in play, but also still toothy for players to build characters and, um, you know, just tries to strike the exact right balance. Uh, so I looked at it and I thought, yeah, you know, D20 versus a DC. I've seen most of this before, right? And I kind of, I didn't dismiss it because it looked really nice and there weren't any typos and uh, the grammar was good, which is something, excuse me, which is something that matters to me. Um, you know, well presented, good art, um, seemed like good choices throughout. But I didn't really appreciate it on the spot. Um, I read it on the on the flight on the way home, and was just really impressed. Uh, I think there's not a lot new in there, but the way it's combined and some of the some of the ideas that are a little more uh, fresh, I should say, a little more um, you know personal to Kelsey. I think were just really good choices and really interesting things, and it made me want to play it, made me want to run it, made me want to play it, and I think you know. It, it's quite nice. It's very nicely done. Um, it's a good kind of middle ground between 
something like Old School Essentials and 5th Edition, right? Um, and it's more along the lines of, uh, you can tell it was inspired by things like the Black Hack and Index Card RPG. So if that seems like something that would interest you, then you should uh, go have a look at it. I've got all kinds of links in the show notes for these things. Uh, but we'll probably talk about some more if we get a chance to get Kelsey on the podcast. Now, there's one final thing I want to talk about today in preparation for uh, this week. I mentioned that I want to do a Zena day. When I got home and uh, started just kind of trying to put some order to all the zines that I have, I, uh, I decided that I was going to whip out a spreadsheet, right? Which is what you do um, it, when you, you know, I use, I'll say this, I miss, uh, this is a dumb nerdy thing, but when I used to be a Microsoft guy, um, they had access the database, right? And I think it still comes with Microsoft Office uh, for the PC, but it was, you know, a friendly beginner database thing. And I used that sometimes for cataloging uh, and building catalogs rather than uh, spreadsheets uh, because it's kind of the next step better, right? And, uh, but since I've become a Mac guy, I haven't found anything I like that's along that line. I need a simple, uh, database where I can design forms and create my own tables and fields and all that. And I probably should just get into SQL or whatever, but I haven't. So I, I pop out the spreadsheet and uh, started making a spreadsheet in my zines. And the reason I bring this up is because I thought it might be useful for others to hear what I've done in terms of the columns. So this is what makes sense to me. I may add or remove or tweak these columns in the future, but here's the kind of data that I'm collecting on the zines that I have so far. Uh, the first thing is the title. No surprises there. Um, I have a column for system or series. So that's like if it's tied to, like I have quite a few zines tied to Mothership or Old School Essentials or just OSR in general or um, that are our original systems. And so I'll just put original or, or if they're an original system that extends for multiple books, I'll put them in a series. So like now I have, um, you know, a couple entries for Shadow Dark as a series. So, and, and system. And then uh, there, and I have some that are agnostic too, right? Um, system agnostic, and so just uh, call that. I call them by their series, or, or in a couple instances, I have that field blank, right? So it'll say like a system that you know, or it'll be um, like a couple dashes to indicate that there's nothing relevant there, or it'll be an original system. Sometimes it just says original, meaning it's like a one-off, um, or or a system like Shadow Dark, or um, yeah, a series just like the name of the, the like the run of the zine. Um, okay, and then uh, a credit on the cover is one column, and so if whatever authorial names appear on the cover. And uh, I was surprised to, to find that a lot of my zines have zero credits on the cover. I'd say maybe a third to a half of the zines that I went through in the first 60 um, didn't have the author's name on the cover. And then I've got a column for the inside credits, which is kind of everybody. I just put everybody in there, um, everybody but playtesters. So I put uh, starting with you know authors and then illustrators and then layout people and... Uh, and um, you know, contributors and all that kind of stuff. I just put them all in a comma separated uh, list there of individuals. And then, uh, let's see, where was I at? So that's the inside credits. Then I have a short description. Uh, like I try to do that in one sentence. 
and then uh, so I can remember what what you know basically what that zine is. And then I have a column for digital copy question mark. In other words, it's a yes or no column uh, as to whether or not I, whether or not I got a digital copy with the physical copy. Right now, I am only uh, I'm only cataloging physical zines uh, because I've got you know all the PDFs kind of sort themselves in a way. And then uh, let's see inserts. Now this is kind of an important one. A lot of zines come with things stuck inside them, um, business cards. I even have one zine that has another, that is a game that has another game inside of it on a business card, right? A completely unrelated uh, game, <laughs> just just an extra, little extra, fun extra. And so I'll indicate the number of inserts and the type. So it might say like um, three comma map and pregens, right? So that's the inserts. And then I have a column for odd format, question mark. Um, and usually that's a yes or no, really, but I'll, I'll put the details. So um, I might, if it's not a standard, like uh, half of a US letter or half of, uh, like, what is it, A5, half of an A4 page that I don't know my European size very well, but one of them is like a digest size. If it's not a digest size, then I indicate that because that means it has to be stored in a little different way. So if it's a mini booklet or a business card or a trifold or something like that, I indicate that in the odd format column. Uh, I then also have columns for whether or not I have read the zine and a column for whether or not I have reviewed it. And that's why I'm looking to check off some of those columns in the coming week. But that's my initial spread. Now I noticed one thing I don't have on here is the year. So I feel like maybe I should add the year that the zine was published, uh, like or, or maybe the full date, right, month and year. Um, I, I thought about adding a, a column for physical, but it's kind of assumed that I have the physical zine if I put it into the spreadsheet right now. So if I ever decide to catalog my uh, digital only zines alongside my physical ones, I'll add a column for physical to, to indicate that. And uh, that is so far the only impulses I've had to tweak the sheet other than maybe break up that inside credits blob uh, a bit and kind of separate because the credit on the cover, maybe I should just change the credit on the cover to like primary authors or primary contributors, but I, I don't know. It's it's working right for me right now and I, it's easy to kind of draw the line. If I have, I, here's the trick about data keeping, right? Um, you want to use as little discretion as possible when you're deciding what goes where, when you, when you make um, a, a table of data. Uh, you want your columns to be or your categories of data, your labels, let's say, your fields, to be as clear as possible so you know what goes in there and what doesn't go in there and you don't have to decide where a piece of information goes because that prevents you from making inconsistent uh, mistakes that are mistakes of inconsistency, right? So, so far this sheet is working for me. Um, at some point, maybe this week, I'll share it uh, in, one, in one link it, you know, somewhere you can have a look at it. But for now, that's that's what I'm up to. And starting tomorrow, I think I'm going to address the Zine Dethroners tomorrow, which is a one-off game. And uh, a game that I got through uh, Kickstarter from this last Zine Quest, Zine Quest number three. But until then, thanks for hanging in, me, in there with me on these Gary Khan shows. Uh, I know it's they're probably interesting because they go from... Uh, topic to topic, you know, they hit a lot of different games, but they're also a little bit like um, a diary or reminisces and may have been boring on that account. Otherwise, um, yeah, I, ho I hope you enjoyed them. I hope you get some sense of what it's like to be at the con. 
um, and the kind of experiences you can gather at Gary Khan. I feel like Gary Khan is a different, you know, is a very different place than Gen Con. It's uh, not just smaller, but it has a different profile of games. There's a lot of historic games there. There's a lot of older games. Um, there's a lot of, uh, let's call them vintage, I guess, not older. But, you know, there's a lot of games that, that are largely forgotten by the by people under, that came, let's say people that came to gaming after 2000, right? Um, or people that came to gaming after the TSR era. There's a lot of these games that they just were never exposed to. Star Frontiers, um, even Traveler. You know, Traveler's been around forever, but it kind of is mostly a continuation of the people that played it from the beginning. I don't know how many new converts it gets, um, you know, with each edition. Um, Call of Cthulhu is still huge, of course. Uh, but things like Boot Hill and On Guard and... Um, Oh, what else would be in there? Goodness, just all the, you know, like the original edition D&D and all, every edition of D&D, I'm pretty sure, was played there. Uh, no, that's that's probably not true. Probably no fourth edition. Probably no third edition. But certainly certainly, I saw uh, original D&D, basic D&D, advanced D&D, TSR era, advanced D&D, um, and fifth edition D&D being played there. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a cool, it's a really cool convention, and um, I want more people to go, and I also don't want more people to go. <laughs> if you catch my drift, but I'd be happy to see you there. And in the meantime, I hope you have a great day. I will talk to you again tomorrow. Hey Ray, Jason here. Just finished episode three fourteen. Thank you so much for doing that retrospective of your visit to GaryCon this year. Really enjoyed it. Thought you did a great job of breaking it down and pointing out a lot of interesting things. So thank you very much. Also really enjoyed the outro music you had there. It just fit perfectly. I'm doing a long drive right now and, it, and having that little bit of musical interlude there was very nice. So take care. Talk to you soon. All right. Treasure Vaults of Zadabad. I feel like that may be what you're thinking of. In relation to Eric de Hoff Hoffman, um, that's what I know him for. Um, yeah, I don't know. I can't read minds, but that'd be my guess. Uh, enjoying your coverage of Gary Con. Take care, mate, and I'll catch you later. Hey, thank you for those call-ins. That was Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Podcast and Colin Green from Spike Pit. And uh, both good friends of mine and make great podcasts, so I encourage you to go listen to them. I also want to thank Thaddeus Moore, who did the legwork to find out that Spreckers wasn't like entirely dead. And um, I need to apologize to him for uh, describing food while he was trying to work out, apparently. <laughs> so you'll notice in this episode, I didn't describe all the wonderful things that you could eat at Spreckers, um, partly because that would be a futile effort until they reopen. But um, yeah, Thaddeus, I appreciate that. I also appreciate uh, you and all the other people that worked to get me in touch with Eric Hoffman, who also may come on the podcast shortly. And yeah, I should have remembered Eric Hoffman. Um, as soon as he sent me an email, I recognized his avatar um, that he uses online, which is the, the um, Chevy Chase from Community Playing D&D, &D, I think. And 
Uh, and uh, Hoffman not only wrote Treasure Vaults of Zadabad, but did uh, Black Powder, Black Magic zine. I think there were three issues of that and has done uh, part of the Hex Talk podcast, which was excellent. And uh, so, yeah, I, uh, a lot of good stuff coming out of Hoffman, and, and maybe we'll get a chance to talk to him on air. If we don't, it'll be my fault, not his. Uh, he's been uh, very open and accommodating about times, and so we'll see if we can work something out. Um, yeah. And um, uh, uh, Jason mentioned the end music that I've been using. It's uh, by a, an artist named Mystery Mammal who puts his music out there for free use as long as you're not using it commercially. And uh, here's another tune by him. Thank you. 